0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Our guest today has been in surveillance for a long time. Recently retired. We'll call him Junior. Junior, welcome to Gambling with an Edge.
1: Thank you. Hello.
0: What actual gambling experience do you have outside of surveillance?
1: Ah, well, before surveillance, I played poker for a while. was relatively successful in the easy uh, Los Angeles area. Easier than Vegas. Um, left that, accidentally fell into surveillance. I did a small amount of card counting, uh, the basic hide your spread by winning progression trick, but that was fairly easy to recognize. Moved on to hole carding, uh, pretty much hit every carnival game. And, uh, finally, although I have been out of practice, thanks to COVID, uh, started cutting to key cards. I like that a lot better.
2: So how long ago did you get into surveillance, and, and, and how did that happen?
1: Uh, quite by accident. Uh, Fifteen years ago, my wife wanted snow and hotels, so <laughs> we moved to Tahoe. And uh, I figured, heck, they got casinos. I was playing poker full-time at the time. And we moved up there, got our place, got everything settled, signed the lease, walked into the poker room, and went, oh, boy. I can't make a living off the poker tables in Tahoe. So I needed a job. And prior because to because
0: they're only grinders there and you're
1: just yeah, trading the I same estimated, money back. Yeah, I estimated maybe out the gate I could make 18 an hour off the 612 game, but because it was going to be the same people day in and day out, that would be ground down to maybe three bucks. It would have been ridiculous. So I uh, walked into the biggest employer and said, I need a job, which happened to be Harris. Prior to poker, I'd done graphics work on computers, so because I knew computers, they hired me to do the Surveillance BJ Survey program, and that's how I got into it. And from there, it was was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun learning. Instead of beating players while playing poker and figuring out their weaknesses, I was looking at the games and figuring out their weaknesses, and how do I break this, and how do I figure out based on what i'm learning and what i know in surveillance how would i beat it in ways that hopefully i wouldn't be able to catch
0: it happening did you stay in the harris system or did you move to a lot of places or what i stayed at harris for a year and a half till the wife
1: decided that uh it wasn't working out with the way that their employment setup was out there in tahoe and the cost of living was pretty high so we went chasing Greener Pastures down here in Vegas. And I landed first at the
0: Mirage. And then, so that was part of the MGM system at the time? Yes, still still is. is. So did you stay in the MGM system after that? Yeah, from Mirage, I moved to Aria when it opened. That was a fun experience. From
1: Aria, I moved to Monte Carlo before it became park. And from there, I moved to the Bellagio. All
0: right. How much attention... Do these casinos pay to slot and video poker players? From my experience, I know several people who do pay a lot of attention
1: to them, but for me personally and for the crew I worked with, not a lot. Um, For the most part, that's factored into the house edge already. The fact that someone comes up and scrapes up a positive situation has already been paid for. So they're not taking anything from the casino's bottom line. They're, not recycling it through, you know, at a disadvantage, but uh, they're they're not affecting the casino's hold. Generally, there but, are some mistakes.
2: But um, the Mirage in particular, uh, New York, New York, uh, MGM Proper, those were some of the first places that started backing off slot players.
1: Yeah, we had a few... Um, I'd like to say Advantage Play Slot's website, when that broke out, made it obvious to everyone, but it started becoming a big issue, and it was easy catches. You could say, hey, look, I've done something proactive for the casino just by setting a camera up on a known Advantage player bonus chasing machine. So, other than that, the only ones that we really looked for were the ones that bring people over to the machine, have them feed the machine and set up the multipliers and then chase them away, and then their buddy comes in right after them. Those people are are not generally
0: desirable. So do you care about ultimate ex-hustlers? The hustlers
1: are problematic. they're, They're hustling somebody out of equity. And actually, at one point, I did ask gaming... You know, could we go after them? Because what they've done is they've generated equity that belonged to somebody else and stolen it from them. So and you're
2: talking about specifically they induce a player to play the machine and then tell them to get off it when right. it's now positive. Yeah,
1: now you've got uh, yeah, a that bunch seems of scary. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the only problematic one. The ones that come in and find it, hey, if someone else left it, it's all yours. You know, the machine's still got its same house edge. But uh, gaming said we would need a victim, and then we would need to quantify what was essentially taken out, the dollar amount of it. Now, that was probably not going to happen. I definitely wasn't interested in figuring out, okay, two times multiplier, three times multiplier, eight times multiplier, 12 times multiplier, but stun whatever denomination, how much did he steal from this person? And, yeah. But leaking that information out got us a serious decline in the number of hustlers we saw, that there was a way to actually charge them. And uh, that was several years ago. I let that information go, and, I mean, it may just be coincidence. There's obviously no scientific basis to prove, but you know suddenly we saw a massive decline in the hustlers for a few years.
2: What about um, slot players that are using multiple players' cards?
1: We're not actively looking for it. Um, I know there are many different angles that the marketing department and the slot department has come up with that, you know, multi-carding does afford you a nice little advantage. Um, it's not something that we're directed to look for. We very rarely get a call. Um, we very rarely go looking for someone shoving cards in, uh, that's not high, at least in my experience where I've been not high on our radar.
2: What, what is high on your radar? What are you mainly looking for?
1: Well, we're, well, I would say we, uh, where I've been, you know, we're seeing bets 50, 75, 200,000 dollars out on the table, aggregate. Now these are, these are some things that uh, where you, know, you might have a couple 25 to 200 advantage players throughout the week that are hitting you and that's what everyone is focused on. A uh, $200,000 mistake wipes out what that guy could have taken from you in three or four years easily.
0: Yeah. What is the state of facial recognition these days at these at the properties you worked at? Uh, if you're in the system and it sees
1: you, it probably will catch you. But it will probably only see you 30% of the time you come through the system where the facial recognition is pointed. The false positives are probably at least 7 out of 10. The way that it works is no longer on facial structure, it's uh, pixels. So we're comparing pixels in one photo to pixels of another photo. It's very easy to fool. (laughs) When we first installed it, I stood in one of the choke points where the facial recognition was pasted, and all I did was simply put a phone up to my face. And walked through it several times It didn't catch me.
2: When you say um, in the system, I imagine it matters how good a photo is in the system. Yeah. And if you grab a photo, say, from a choke point of a guy wearing a hat and, you know, looking at his phone, as opposed to, I mean, do you have photos like sometimes they ask for an ID and they scan the ID To get a player's card or things like that are you using those photos
1: no those don't work as well the way it's evolved and this is just one product there are several out there but this is just the one that we use um we really need against a background that's similar to the background we're going to be seeing you again against so say you were to take a casino shot with a bunch of stuff in the background and you don't really get a clearly defined outline of the face it's comparing pixels again it's not no longer facial structure, no longer trying to determine the eyes and the distance between the eyes and all the math that went into the person's face originally. So now it's comparing, say you come in at 6 a.m., when the sun's nice and bright coming through that window, it completely bleaches you out from that shot, so it's not going to pick you up in there because the background noise is too much. It's too bright when I'm taking a photo that I got from you off of a table, say, and the background on the table is dark carpeting or whatever else. So... um. It's, it's I assume, improving. <laughs> it's still got a long ways to go. The scary part is is the number of false positives. I had one. I seriously took five minutes before deciding, no, it's not this person. But you know, the, the false positives are numerous, and they're close. So you've got an operator standing there making a decision as to whether or not to get security involved in an, in an incident with somebody. And with that high of false positive rate, it's just scary.
2: Well, I mean, I would assume no one ever lost their job for throwing out the wrong person, right?
1: Oh, no one that I've worked with has (laughs) lost their job for throwing out the wrong person. Uh, Hopefully they would have asked for ID and the whole situation would have been nice and calmly approached. And if we determine once the ID is there that no, this isn't a match, hopefully the people who have asked for ID will apologize very politely and Wish them a good day.
2: Yeah, I've never heard of that happening. Of course, I mean, all the people I hear about getting thrown out are actually advantage players, so that, you know. Um, so uh, so um, just to um, go a little bit deeper on this. Certainly. There is this idea out there among players that MGM properties in particular have this fabulous... Uh, facial recognition that they get picked off immediately and um, there's another sort of camp that feels the reason they're getting picked off immediately is because people just remember their face. Um,
1: Okay the system the way it's set up right now is there's a set of individuals that are provided that come from the corporate office so it's pushed down to each individual property. Each individual property then can then add their own to the facial recognition system advantage players are currently not in the system they were at startup they were removed later on Um, now if you're being spotted immediately it's most likely because you left another property and they sent us a flyer on you saying hey this guy just left here and is heading your direction or is out and about on the strip this weekend or someone simply recognized you and uh there are some people Throughout the industry, that are remarkable at remembering faces uh, for decades, just great. And that's not in the room; that's on the floor too. Mm. So uh, yeah, there are there are some skilled people. More than likely, it's not the recognition software that picked you off, but an operator or a floor supervisor, or possibly a dealer.
2: Yeah, and they move around, right? So somebody, you know, you could be in a property you've never been in, but the boss happens to have worked. Somewhere else. (laughs) Exactly.
1: The resorts world just opening had a massive pull from all the properties in the strip of talent. And, of course, all that talent moved. And non-strip. Yeah. Believe it. And that talent moved there, leaving a talent gap that each other property is pulling from other properties to fill. So people move around a lot, especially when an opening comes up. And probably, especially at this time, people are paying a premium for employees that are, you know, talented, so there'll probably be a lot more movement over the next several months.
0: So what information do the, the MGM properties share with other M4Main properties? And what information would these properties share with their, with their competitors?
1: Very seldom does something go, at least from my level, to a competitor. Now, I'm sure there's conversations at higher levels than I ever achieved, you know, where they talk to know people in the industry and some things get shared probably some big plays that are going around or a big cheating thing that's going around town i'm sure there was a lot of sharing around that time um but on a base level if we've just bounced a card counter we're sending something out to the rest of the properties in the mgm group and nowhere else it just remains within our own sometimes we'll get a call from uh uh, especially at Bellagio, we get a call from Cosmo or we'll get a call from Paris across the street that says, hey, this person just left here, was headed your direction, just a heads up. But that's not very common.
2: When you first started, um, you were working uh, with Ted Whiting, right? Yes. A- at the Mirage. And um, now this story may be uh, apocryphal, but I-, I heard that he studies photographs of advantage players Um sort of on a regular basis, just to be able to identify them on site?
1: If he's still doing that in his current position, that's some dedication. I mean, I don't think he spends a lot of time on the floor anymore or in a monitor room.
2: I see. So this was back then. Yeah, he he was very
1: big on faces. He had a whole PowerPoint, very big on, and actually I carry it kind of to this day, I guess, until a couple days ago, on ears of people. In fact, the person I mentioned, it took me five minutes to determine they weren't the any vision, the facial recognition hit, was the ears. So he's very big on people's ears. He. Um,
2: oh, that's interesting. I've never heard that before.
1: Yeah, he calls them uh, a fingerprint. They're like a fingerprint. Huh. And if you can get a good shot, yeah, they'll stop you from saying, oh, that's someone, or, you know, help determined that yeah that's definitely
0: that person
2: there you go so now uh, the plastic surgeons will be you know getting a lot of ear reconstructions yeah i want a
0: pair of falsies for my ears (laughs) um card counters what techniques do the properties you worked at use to identify card counters in terms of physically counting themselves using software Um, what do they do it's all software now That changed
1: maybe six or seven years ago. There's still a visual initial identification, but then it goes software. And uh, there is some sharing when you don't have enough data around, hey, we got this person, we believe they're to the camp, but we don't have enough data to conclusively say so. Um, But it is is all software, regardless of the person's personal, the operator's personal feeling, it, it goes through the software.
2: How much data do you need? Um, uh, depending
1: on what you're playing.
2: I mean, if, if somebody plays one shoe
1: no, and... Not
2: enough. So if they come back, let's say they have a shoe, gets a big high count, they put out their max bets, and they walk. The next time they come back, well, nothing. Unless they've seen that story too many times before. There, there,
1: there are two theories here. You have some that are, are really after anyone they think is a card counter, and they really go after them. So these personality types will put that one shoe in and wait till they return and put the next one shoe in that they play and wait till they return. And optimally, you want a good spread of even negative positive counts so that you're not making a false determination and kicking out the wrong person. So that takes, that takes a few shoes, especially if Now, you end up going six negative shoes, and the guy does nothing, and that's a horrible experience. But, um,
2: well, but then you wouldn't even be looking at him. Or, I guess, unless you know, you had some trip in the past where
1: he, or someone directed us, Hey, I want you to take a close look at this guy. And so we take a close look, and it's just negative shoe after negative shoe after negative shoe, and it's a horrible, you know, grind. (laughs) You're wondering how this guy can tolerate it. Why doesn't he just leave? (laughs) There's got to be somewhere he can walk into. But uh, either way, the determination goes through the software. And then that goes, moves on up, and other people will make determinations after that evaluation has been completed.
0: What methods are used to identify, like, hole carters or shuffle trackers or ace sequencers or other techniques other than card counting? Uh, for hole carters, very
1: simple. Know the basic strategy to every game. Uh, if you're hole-carding, you're going to deviate. That includes the carnival games, as well as blackjack.
2: Well, but no players know the basic strategy on, mo- on a lot of carnival games, <laughs> right? So,
1: Well, uh, if, you're, if you're taking up hole-carding, you should at least know the basic strategy and the deviations you're going to take based on that information. For us, it's fairly simple. Uh, all of it is on a website uh, that lists the basic strategy, whether the operator is... Um, motivated enough to go seek out that information that's on them
0: um so wizard of odds.com is that the st- software yes, you're talking about yep
1: that is it it's got basic strategy for everything blackjack switch ultimate hold'em um mississippi stud a three-card poker although that doesn't take a lot to figure out <laughs> basic strategy for that game but yeah you just simply compare the play that you're seeing to the basic strategy and if they're Deviation from strategy is correct to having a whole card or first card knowledge, then just need enough hands to prove it. Now, for shuffle tracking and ace sequencing, uh, there have been some changes to the software where it believes that it can catch it. Um, Previously, I had thought definitely not shuffle tracking. Um, And actually, I don't know what they've done. I don't know how they're working the math on that software. I'd really love to know how they're working the math on that software, because there are a few things that seem odd to me. Uh, The main type of shuffle tracking, I'm pretty sure it won't catch if you were just to simply cut out, I think it's Schlesinger. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. He was asked on a forum, if you cut out the two worst decks of a shoe, what would your average running count be? And he answered plus 14. Well, this opened my eyes to something. If you're doing shuffle tracking that way, you're just going to flat bet with an edge the entire time, so the software won't catch that. They'll just see somebody flat betting, and uh, you know they will see if you know you bet big into a clump and then that mm-hmm. clump disappears and you drop down. Given enough times, now hopefully we'll eventually catch that. But you need you need a lot of data for that.
2: Yeah, you're. It's just, especially given the shuffles in Las Vegas, I can't imagine first you can't track them well enough to be that accurate that that i could imagine first of all i don't think the shuffles are worth tracking anyway no. but um but but with whole card also i mean you just you're wrong you know a lot of the time so i can't imagine how a software would you know
1: Well, it it compares. This This I know is the same thing we do. Actually, I don't know for certain. I don't want to say that I know this for sure. Because I haven't talked to the guy who wrote the software. But uh, it assumes that if you didn't catch the whole card, you're just going to play straight up basic strategy. So now all we look at is the deviations from basic strategy. And what percentage of those deviations are correct to the whole card or the top card. However, there is a certain situation which will show up correct, say, to top card. Um, where a guy has, say, a 14 and a 15. the left 15 first before the 14, let's say. He stands on his 15, hits his 14, and busts it with a 10. Well, that's a correct top card decision on the 15 hand because you know, he was correct. Had he hit it that, he would have busted his 15. But it doesn't take into account, okay, if I knew the top card, why am I going to willingly bust out my 14 right afterward? You know, it, you have to f- filter that out when you're looking at it. So there are little instances like that. But essentially what it does is it says, any deviation from basic strategy, could that have correlated to top or first card or whole card?
2: Right. But, you know, sometimes with a whole card, you have partial information. So, you know, the card could be a four or it could be a seven or it could be an eight or, you know what I mean? So uh, you, you stand with... Fifteen against a ten, and the dealer has eighteen. You know, so you look like an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean. So that's why I just can't see the software.
1: It'll probably flummox it. We look for a, a certain percentage, or they look for a certain percentage of times that they're correct. If you're approaching, say, sixty percent, we're going to start digging deeper, and then we're going to do, you know, we're going to do a manual analysis, hand by hand, of it. After that. So it'll probably throw it off, but I think you're still going to end up with the sixty percent threshold, at least in blackjack. When we don't have any software for any other game.
2: Yeah, I. So my impression is that um, there are very, very few people in surveillance rooms like you. Um, I I have a friend who works at a property who's who said you know surveillance rooms are often filled with guys who want to sit in a dark room and you know. Uh, play on their phone. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: so uh, what what is your experience having worked in it for so long?
1: Um, I'll start out. Ted's rooms, back to Ted Whiting, were very, very proactive. He had a lot of skilled staff, um, was very big on that. Through the years, they've either been promoted, moved on to other places that staff has the quality is not the quality, the, the knowledge, let's say. You know, there's quality people. They just don't have a knowledge. That knowledge is extremely dissipated. And then you're in especially in this, for looking into that's that's all on the person. They have to do the digging themselves. They have to read the books, they have to go online, read the websites, they have to do the search, they have to do the mental gymnastics of going, Okay, you know, um, I've heard of shuffle tracking What would it look like if someone were tracking the shuffle? What would I see? How would I detect that? Um, You know, I've heard of wheel bias. What would a wheel bias look like if I was seeing it in action? You know, uh, I've heard of hole carding ultimate hold'em. What am I going to see if someone's catching the hole card on ultimate hold'em? All of this is on each individual operator to actually do that themselves or supervisor or director or anyone within the organization. There's not A comprehensive training program that each one of them go through so you're really just up to the motivation of the person who's standing behind the monitor and while the places I worked you weren't allowed to have your cell phones in the room Um, I've heard of many others that yeah that is exactly what's happening Uh, it's a very secluded job you don't have a lot of oversight except for what the department puts on itself Um, you have uh, not too many demands it's a comfy decent paying job that you know people look to retire into at times no i don't want to be on my feet on the floor anymore i've got some table games knowledge i'm willing to take the pay cut i'll sit in the room for eight hours a day and keep my medical benefits it's not the threat it once was
0: how much of your time is spent watching casino employees To see they're doing their job honestly it differs depending
1: on where you're working um we had mandatory audits where i broke in where you had to audit the employees and different departments at times we've had that thrown in you know do an audit on the cage each person did one once a week on an area that we didn't normally pay attention to um there's where i am not a ton of time uh, remember, I was on swing, so we had a ton of people, a ton of action going on, and you know, a lot to do. So this wasn't a lot of free time there. Um, there's no set formula to, hey, we want to spend an hour every week on the cage. We want to spend an hour looking at racing sports. You know, we want to spend an hour looking at following an EVS guy around. We have had times where that was mandatory, but now it's pretty much free-flowing focus your attention on what's happening now or whatever
0: you've been called to pay attention to at many properties when a certain amount of money goes out the window at a cashier whether it's ten thousand or fifty thousand or hundred thousand depending on the property they have to call surveillance so what's going on there
1: Uh, uh well we could be for IRS purposes be giving a phone call um, There'll be, you know, the suspicious activity reporting. Uh, They've determined that whatever about the transaction appeared suspicious. They'll give us a call. Not a lot of the calls are actually to surveillance. They're going to verify play through a PIT, especially with larger cash outs. And they may think that they're calling us, Mm -hmm. but they're not. They're calling to verify play. Um, We could be having that. Uh, Sometimes we could have someone with a large denomination check who has no history and we can't verify their play as to why they came into possession of it so at that point they'll call up to notify hey we've got something we can't verify the play here's the story um, at times there's a famous story about this at times the cage will confiscate the check issue a receipt to the person who attempted to cash the check and then notify gaming that they have confiscated a check and issued a receipt um, at those times we will be called to to document everything for Whatever legal recourse might come up later on.
0: Now Nolan Dalla has a story
1: that was who I was
0: referring to. I heard that he got that paid.
1: Uh, I don't know how many years later, but uh, that was the story I was referring to. Yes.
2: Yeah, some casinos won't even give you the receipt. Um, you no. Know, oh. So, yeah, it. Um, well, in Indian casinos, they can do whatever that yes, they want. But, yes. Yes. Um, yeah, but. Uh, Yeah, there have been instances where they wouldn't even give the receipt and gaming had to be called and, you know. um, So what about um, cheating? And I'm sure over the years you must have caught some cheating going on. And and what percentage was actually theft by employees versus actual cheaters? Um,
1: Okay, we're going to throw out the... Uh, dumb person who did a bet cap or a bet pinch. Yeah, yeah, some cheaters.
2: trunk guy who sticks an yeah. extra... Yeah.
1: We're going to throw those out. And actually, they become pretty close. The real cheats and the real theft from either a table games dealer or a poker dealer or a cage cashier, they're not very, very common. Um, the sad thing is, it's probably going on more than what we're catching, or what they're catching, sorry. Old habits die hard. Um, <laughs> but... The cheating incidents and the theft incidents that I personally caught are about even. Um, several poker dealers actually caught. Uh, several poker dealers the player has caught and brought it to our attention through poker management. And we've gone on to go ahead and prove that. Now, um, what kind
2: of... I mean, how, how were they stealing?
1: Oh, just simply palming a check from the pot.
2: Oh. And
1: you know, that's generally it. The, the moves were kind of obvious push the pot with one hand and then suddenly that hand that palm the check is immobile for like 15 minutes. <laughs> so he gets the opportunity to bring it to his pocket. Uh, the cheating incidences is
0: um, usually doesn't take that long because the player who gets the, the pot's going to tip.
1: That's when the move happens. He collects the tip with the hand that's locked up the check and brings both checks into his pocket. One I got uh, was a uh, dealer would come down to the table and color himself up out of the rack. <laughs> And it was so unusual. You know, you don't color yourself up out of the rack. His toques out of his pocket, and you color up his toques out of the rack first thing. So he'd slam down maybe fifteen blue and pinch off twenty-five in red, and do the color up real quick. I know it's only a little bit, but if you're pinching out ten out of the rack every thirty minutes as you change tables, you're making a decent amount of money for a day.
2: Were you at the Bellagio when that whole dice cheating dice crew that was
1: uh, no. playing
2: the call bets.
1: No, that was uh, before my time there. Um, I also missed the infamous Motorcycle Bandit. <laughs> oh, yeah. At uh, Bellagio, we had a gentleman who was bending aces on Ultimate Hold'em. Hell, And that night, came in, just kind of flipping, hey, this guy's bending aces on Ultimate Hold'em. MGM, you know, sent out something about him bending aces on Ultimate Hold'em a little while ago. Said, okay, has anybody called anybody? Yeah. You know, <laughs> You call the director, let them know this is going on? No. Call down to the pit, they're about to take the cards out of circulation and put them in storage. No, no, don't do anything with those cards, bring them up here. So I thought I knew what was going on. I instructed one of my operators, I said, pull up, at the time it was AP Heat, Get me first card edge on ultimate Hold'em. It's something like 86% of your first card is gonna be an ace. So we contacted gaming, and we were starting to do the math of how many times he received an ace as his first card and how astronomical that would be, and it turned out to be like 10 Earths to one. It was, you know, at 40 billion or whatever to one. It was horrid. How, how unlikely it was to be just dumb luck. And gaming responded, and uh, they didn't quite understand, so I had to have them cut the deck several times. And I said, just run your hand across the deck and cut it. The joke was the bend in the ace caused you to cut directly above the ace, and therefore the first card that was delivered to the player was the ace. However, this guy ended up a lifetime loser. Um, He didn't pound it. He, He would check instead of bet four times and just check all the way to the river and put a bet out with his ace high, or unless he hit an ace on the flop, he'd bet two times, when he didn't hammer away having an ace in hand every single time. gaming was originally concerned that it was dealer-agent collusion but the fact that he did it with umpteen different dealers and several different properties now that was highly unlikely that all of our dealers were working with him. Just a simple bend made you unconsciously cut the deck right above the ace. So as a uh, reply to that, the deck no longer gets cut. So it's not offered to the players for cut on the way MGM deals. It just seems
2: bizarre. I mean, first of all even if gaming busted the guy, I don't see how they could possibly convict him if he didn't raise his bet with the ace and yeah. and he was a lifetime loser. I, well, I mean, it just seems bizarre.
1: Stranger things have happened. <laughs> I mean, you've got the uh, one of the famous gamblers of all time that's marking cards while betting small amounts in different casinos throughout the country. You know, I is weird stuff gets in people's heads. I don't know
0: what to say. Since Junior doesn't know what to say, we're going to have a break for commercials. At the South Point, they have more than 10,000 games, returning more than 99%. This is more than anyone else has. Beginning Monday, July 5th, the free play with the kicker promotion will be in effect. For people who already get mailers, you pick up your normal free play Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and if you do you'll receive the same amount of free play Friday or Saturday of the same week. Pick up all eight free plays and you'll receive a double amount of free play on Monday, August the 2nd. Hey guys, this is Colin from blackjackapprenticeship.com and if you're serious about card counting, I'd encourage you to check out the Blackjack Apprenticeship Membership. It has the training tools you'll need to beat the game like our comprehensive video course and our training suite so you can learn each skill and virtually test yourself before ever stepping foot in a casino. It also includes the tools you'll need to succeed like our pro betting software, casino database, results tracking software, and access to a community of like-minded advantage players to network with in our members forum and chat room software. You can find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. VideoPoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. The game of the week is Magic Deal Poker. This is a 10 coins per line game where periodically, prior to the deal, you receive one, two, or three Magic Deal cards. These are like wild cards, except they're determined after all the other cards are dealt and they must take the value of a real card, which means you cannot have five of a kind in a game like Double Double Bonus. The frequency of the magic deal cards depends on the game. On games where two pair receives even money, you, you get relatively few magic deal cards. On games where two pair pays double money, essentially jacks or better bonus poker, you get significantly more magic deal cards all right we're back talking to junior how often do you get false positives meaning incorrectly determined that a cheater is not cheating or vice versa incorrectly kick out someone who's doing nothing against house policy i want to
1: say um none that i can recall i'm sure there has to be I, and i've known several people uh, again on the aggressive against advantage players front uh, that have mentioned that if I just took those two shoes out of the, uh, out of the survey, he would have come back positive. <laughs> really? <laughs> if, he's, if he's counting, he's counting. If he's not counting, let him play. You know, um, I'm really on the side of it's a last resort thing. Definitely with cheating, if you're going to call gaming and have someone taken back to holding, that's, you want to be absolutely certain on that call. Uh, recently, we had uh, a theft from another player. And uh, before any action was taken, you know, we had several sets of eyes confirm, yes, this is theft. Thankfully, it was obvious. Um, he palmed a check off another player while he's handing them back to him. We let the table games department know um, hey, this has occurred. We let security know to get people into place. And then we let gaming know, hey, this has occurred, and while we were on the phone with gaming, the guy got up and attempted to cash out his, his ill-gotten gains, and was stopped there, but not yet detained. It's, it's you detain someone and you're wrong. That's a lawsuit. You just don't want to do it. Um, have false positives occurred for advantage play, say card counting? Probably. Especially if you're playing unrated, you've got no history with the casino, and... The person who's going to make the decision is having a bad day. Um, <laughs> you can call down and say, Hey, you know, we've run this guy down. He's looking good right to the count. You know, he's sitting out big negatives and you know, we're going to need a little bit more time before we get conclusive from the computer program that he's definitely there, but that's what we're seeing. And the person who answers the phone from the floor side could just say, Hey, look, he's not rated. We don't know him. I'm just going to go tell him, you know, he's flatbed. Or I'll ask him for ID, and if he doesn't want to give it to me, that's a soft backup. back off. And come and ask you for ID, and if you don't want to give it to him, then they just leave. So that's the end of that. But there have been times, I'm sure, I gave someone a positive one time, and a coworker of mine, a friend of mine, wanted to give him a negative after I'd given him his first positive and didn't want to put it in the system. I said, no, put it in the system. You know, if he's negative, that's what you saw. You know, what I saw at the time was positive. And it could just be dumb luck. You know, maybe he knew, hey, a lot of little cards come out, I'm going to jump my bet. And accidents happen. But you know, we try not to back somebody off or especially take any action with security to detain somebody unless we're absolutely certain.
2: How big a red flag is it to not have a player's card?
1: All it does is it triggers the uh, it triggers a call at different thresholds at different places. Um, if you're a refused name player and you're betting, say, black on a carnival game, that'll trigger a call from the pit to us to notify us that this is happening. And then we'll take a glance, see if uh, you know, it's someone we know, someone who's been running around town. You know, we may look at the play for a little bit and then probably move on if there's nothing that we saw immediately, which, for those of you paying attention, it could have been the relief dealer, <laughs> and we didn't see anything because it wasn't the one he or she was targeting but uh yeah that'll it'll trigger a call and it'll trigger someone to put a camera on that person and it's not really again, you know Blagio's a lot different than say, working Green Valley Ranch. I don't know what their room was like, but you know someone betting back on a car game happens all day long every day uh, um someone lighting black on a carny game at the orleans that's probably going to set off some alarm bells I
2: don't even though if you can yeah
1: i don't either <laughs> but um yeah so it, it doesn't have an effect as much on a on them there as it would a smaller place but we'll get the call and then if we recognize you we'll move from there um if it's suspected then we'll evaluate play and see if it matches up to whatever was suspected and take it you know, take it from that point forward all
2: what about hats is that a red flag at
1: all? Not unless it says, uh, what, what was the guy wearing? World Championship, of Bla- World Championship of Blackjack? Is that what it was? <laughs> One guy was actually wearing that. Um, <laughs> no, it's it, it may be to some people. So many people wear hats. Now, if you're pulling it down over your face and wearing sunglasses and s- <laughs> squashed down at the table, just the ridiculousness of it all will probably draw a little bit more attention. But there are a lot of hats running around. It's, it's not a major tip-off.
0: Players slouching, uh, presumably to get hole cards. Do you watch for that? Well, when you, it's,
1: it's an easy tell. Uh,
0: um, yeah. If you're looking. Yeah, if, if you
1: are scanning around the pit, seeing if anyone's playing for a hole card. The procedures that MGM employs, while not impossible, it's... Pretty difficult to get whole card information. There are ways. There's the draw and spread of the hand that can give it out. Um, there is, seeing a lot more of this light, lately, the pushing tokes way, way up so that um, there's not enough room for the dealer to deal. But the slouch, yeah, that's you're going to look, because come on. Uh, I would hope someone who's really good at it isn't slouching down at the table. I once caught a whole card where I would have killed myself had I done the slouch. Instead, I was able to take two steps back from the table and get the whole card just fine. So, unfortunately, I am a smoker. I had to change smoke for quite a while and made it look like I was the politest smoker at the table because I didn't want anyone else to get the smoke. But, no, I couldn't catch it unless I took the two steps back or slouched. I'm not going to do that. But yeah, that's that's a major ridiculous tell. Uh, it's... it's Definitely get you some some review.
0: There was a very famous case with Phil Ivy and her English name was Kelly's son. Yes. In both London and Atlantic City. However, well, it's been said it happened in Vegas yes. quite a few places. Were you ever at a <laughs> where they
1: edge sorted? I came back on my Monday to the two days that they had done it. Now I don't know if you know if that had anything to do with what my days off were I doubt it but you know my ego whatever um came back to I said we were edge sorted what and the horrible horrible thing about it is they were using a cigarette pack I'm remembering this or a lighter to show how the dealer was supposed to turn these cards so that they would remain sorted in the correct way that doesn't happen every day. And it's the middle of the week and they're doing this to completely sort two decks and they, they Two decks. Two, okay. two shoes. Two shoes, yeah. Two, I'm sorry, two decks. Two two full shoes. And then come up with some ridiculous concessions out of marketing and table games to keep those sorted decks shoes in play. And it was so odd, there's no chance someone didn't say what the heck. It just I'm sure someone said, what the heck, no matter where it was happening, under whoever's nose, what's going on? Uh, still, at, no, even I think in that instance, the dealer mentioned something about it to someone else. All game protection procedures just went right out the window. I'm sure in every place that this happened. You know, your turns, your strips, although that doesn't do anything for edge sorting, but your turn was gone. You know, you're changing out of decks after so many plays. That was all thrown out the window. The decks stayed overnight. The shoes stay overnight. But yeah, they they hit plenty of places. I heard around town, and you know, it was. It probably won't be forgotten for a while now, because they hit them pretty good. But it was an old trick that someone brought back to life to amazingly effective use, and uh, just. They'd forgotten about it. They didn't know why. Why do we have the turn? Why do we put the turn in there? That's wasted time. We could cut out half a second on our shuffle if we get rid of the turn. That's another however much an equity or, or value or edge from the player that, that we're missing out on because of that stupid turn.
2: So after that happened, uh, Bill Zender wrote an article about it, and but didn't name any people, any casinos, it was all kind of vague. And I remember reading the article and said, there is no casino in the world that would fall for this. Uh, like, he's, he's come up with some, like, theoretical idea that could never happen in real life. And then, you know, come to find out they got it on all over the world, basically. Yeah, they've
1: um, everywhere. And I've, I wouldn't doubt that they're still able to get it on, just probably in a more subtle method and with some lesser connected casinos. Um, Not Phil Ivy, though. I mean, he he's, he's world known.
0: One would yes. think,
1: yes, but uh, you know, there are several famous authors that still have careers. You can find places that don't know who you are. <laughs>
2: so, speaking of famous players, yes, <laughs> who were uh, who were sort of the the FBI's ten most wanted or five most wanted? Who was on the or or did they even care? Did they even?
1: No, there was. Uh, I did have. Yeah. Am I name dropping? I did happen to see Grosjean. He was hole-carding a, uh, a single-deck 6-5 to five game. Caught it right at the end. Looked at my buddy and said, Who does this look like? And then, why is he only betting nickels? And then we, just, we started to review the play. Oh, okay. The nickels aren't what's important. It's the guy betting two hands of 300 over here that's important. But um it wasn't, like, high priority. We got alerts that they were out and about. And then... What we ended up or what they ended up doing is just coming up with ways to better protect the games. At one point you couldn't even touch your hand in three card poker. They dealt everybody's hand face up and you all made your decisions before the house hand even came out. Now you can touch your hand in three card poker, but the house hand still doesn't come out until the final final decision. Uh, let's see. We, they eliminated as many ways to get the whole card information as you could. Um, as far as famous players, um we see plenty of highland he just comes through town blows through town and pounds away as hard and fast as he can and then you know someone remembers who he is and says hey <laughs> haven't i seen you somewhere before this is yep he gets up moves on to the next place and uh let's see as far as the other famous ones I think those are the top two that are still running around pounding.
2: When, you, when you're talking about a six-to-five single deck game, that must have been a long time ago, right? That's
1: oh, yeah. That was, that was my original days. It's Mirage for getting to Vegas. Oh, yeah.
2: Because I, I, yeah, I, I don't remember the last time I saw a six-to-five single deck game. Yeah,
1: there was a whole strip coming in from the Tiger Habitat, a bunch of six-to-five single deck games. Yeah. And the uh, <laughs> dealer even said, yeah, I thought they were catching my whole card. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, no, uh, higher ups were mad. But they got it on one day. You yeah, know, the system came through, held up. We saw it, corrected it. Next day, came in, and uh, not my story to tell, so I won't tell that part of it. Next day, he came in, checked out the dealer. She wasn't showing the whole card anymore. So. Someone's maintaining camera coverage as he walks into the poker room and gives a brush-off signal that the play is off, and he goes on to leave. Nobody ID'd who he gave the brush-off signal to, so I <laughs> still don't know for sure who his partner was in that play because that wasn't important, apparently, at the time. I went looking when I came in later. Oh, he backed him off and dead. Yeah, they were upset, but heck, we had a whole card get exposed. It got played. We spotted it. We spotted it in one shift.
0: Come on. You can't ask for more, really. That was pretty good work. Uh, actually, this is a uh, an interesting show because we're all in the same room. This means Richard <laughs> is retired. There, oh, <laughs> in the past, well, if there if was he, anybody related to surveillance, Richard would always phone <laughs> it in or somehow be off that week to go play the secret game somewhere. Or Junior
2: is retired.
0: That's, or both. Well, Junior's retired, but he still knows, he still knows everybody. Uh, and um, so there was a lot of, you had to trust that. Well, we uh,
2: actually have corresponded for quite yes. a few years. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. What I
1: did was a job, and I did it as effectively as I could. I was employed for eight hours a day, sometimes longer, to protect the casino's assets. That did not mean I had to expose them every play I, I knew of. If it happened and I saw it, I would let them know this is what is going on. Um, if I knew about it, but it never happened, then that's, that's mine. I kept that to myself. Uh, now I used several techniques in training to open eyes to so those that I trained, but I'm not getting paid, <laughs> you know, to, to do surveillance work anymore. So if, if, you know, they want to call, hey, I heard you met with, no. You know? And not only that, but my whole integrity is on the line. I'm not saying anything to anybody. If I were, everything from this point forward, from that point forward, would be completely moot. No one would ever give me the time of day again. And that's absolutely not worth it. I, Like I mentioned in the email, I could have had a password to Green Chip Forum, but no, I turned it down. I'll figure this stuff out on my own. Oh, I asked you out for a beer a while ago. You denied it. I said, okay. Someone mentioned on a form that your photo was available online. I didn't even bother to look for it. I didn't even ask him. If anyone you want to see what
0: his father looks like. Oh. Well, I heard that's
1: the picture you have at the Blackjack Hall of Fame is your father's Yeah, photo. yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether you look like your father, so I can't even say that <laughs> to anyone trying to peel some information from
0: this. Did you ever know a player... That you saw was generating heat and contact him no. somehow and say, No, you best stay out of there because completely
1: unethical would not do. Um, just, I don't even know. I've never given any inside information out that wasn't already publicly known. I mean, all of this, including what I'm saying here, well, outside of it. A few little examples, but they're all vague. It's pretty much publicly known. If you read, you watch what's on television, you can pretty much see what's going on in nowadays. The old days of being completely secretive and secluded from the rest of the world are gone. And no, I never, I never tipped off anyone. If that ever came back to me while I was employed there, I'm sure there would be quite a price to pay. that just wasn't worth it. The only thing I have at the end of whether or not I continue on with gambling is... My integrity. And
2: yeah, and your reputation. You only have one reputation. Yep. That's kind of the most important thing.
0: How much is age, race, and gender used to categorize which players to watch? Now, for me,
1: absolutely nothing. I only care about the player. That's it. I, in fact, I look on backup cameras most of the time. Now, all I'll see is hands. but uh, Or I looked on backup cameras. I will say that there are certain biases prevalent in the industry. Um, I will say that there are more Caucasians and Caucasian males and Asian males identified as advantage players in any other nationality or gender. I don't know if that's a bias. I don't know if that's just how it turned out. But, um, yeah, for, for me, it's quite simply play. Now, I will say there have been others who... Have made derogatory comments one way or the other about whatever, saying, Oh well, yeah, he, she or they can't count cards. Well, that's ridiculous. Counting cards really takes minimal practice and you know, you, you can be up and running in no time, especially if you're adequately bankrolled. But yeah, it doesn't doesn't factor in at all.
2: You would get less phone calls though to say, hey, check this person out, right? If they if they're making the judgment in the pit before calling you now but- there
1: may be yeah there may be some truth to that um, and I'm sure you know each pit person goes all across the spectrum of different biases and different beliefs and different whatever they're holding on to um, you know a good selective representation of the rest of the world as it stands but uh, yeah there wouldn't be a call that is supposed to be triggered And we'll get the trigger on $100. We'll get the trigger on uh, a bet spread of an adequate number of units, which a lot of times the the pit isn't aware of how many units is an adequate bet spread. Um, Got a call on a six-deck shoe game, guy's going one to three units. (laughs) Now, the second time he made that call, I probably upset him because I said, just for your information, the absolute bare minimum, if he's card counting, is... 1 to 6, generally preferred 1 to 12 or better, if you can get away with it. But 1 to 3 isn't going to beat it straight up card counting. And I think I irritated that person, but I was slightly irritated myself.
2: Well, what if a guy is just wonging in and flat betting? Then well, yeah. no bet spread.
1: No, there is none at all. Then we're supposed to get call, hey, this guy's jumping in and out. Which, if you're wonging in effectively, you're going once or twice and then moving on, hopefully. Um, we. Funny story. Uh, pit manager, flat bet a guy, Uh, two guys. So they asked the pit manager, is it okay if, you know, so whenever we enter, we just have one bet and that's all we can bet. The manager said, yeah, that's correct. So we can enter at any time. Well, yes, but whenever you enter, you have to only bet that amount from that point forward. (laughs) The two guys left laughing and when we heard the story, we just shook our heads. really
0: only amount to bet was a big amount <laughs> yeah yeah table
1: max but yeah you, you, you can't go any more than table max but whenever you decide to play it's got to be table max
0: <laughs> but that'll teach him. Yeah. <laughs> all right junior we uh we've run out of time and we have lots more questions for you so oh, i'm guessing that you're going to get an email from richard or me in the near future saying come back and tell some more that oh. um, likely to be met positively from your end Oh yeah this is this is a new experience and fun and hopefully um,
1: hopefully not boring for anyone who's listening to this I no, suspect
0: I, uh,
2: it will not be boring no I think it'll be a very popular episode so, and it will prompt a lot more questions I think from the audience too
0: yes because right now we have enough for about a half a show. And so when our listeners hear this and say, well, add this to your list and add this to your list. Yeah, and then good questions. Sometimes
1: the most ridiculous sounding question leads to new areas of thought. They're like, wow, I didn't even
0: look at it from that angle.
2: Or it reminds you of another story or whatever, yeah.
0: That actually is a good place to segue into Recommended because it reminds me of what Richard is going to recommend.
2: Oh, I was going to recommend some Korean barbecue places, but are you talking about the podcast that I mentioned? (laughs) Yes,
0: I was talking about the podcast you mentioned. so
2: this week my recommended will be a podcast called, and I hope I haven't recommended this before, um, but anyway, it's a podcast called No Stupid Questions, and it is... um, uh, Stephen Dubner from Freakonomics and Angela Duckworth, who wrote a really good book called Grit. Um, she is a, a PhD psychologist. Anyway, they have this um, podcast called No Stupid Questions. And basically, they they address stupid questions. Um, but it's really just like sitting... They're obviously very good friends. And it's like sitting in on a conversation between two very, very smart people about... All kinds of interesting things. So, yeah, check it out. No stupid questions.
0: Well, I will make an executive decision. And if you also want to tell us about Korean barbecue, you're allowed I'll, or you can you save know, that for next week. I have a week.
2: limited number of recommended, so I'm going to save Korean barbecue for our next show. Oh,
0: so people <laughs> have to listen again?
2: <laughs> but don't worry. I have two Korean barbecue places ah, that I'm okay, going to
0: recommend. okay, good. Okay. Now, my recommended is a thriller book called The President is Missing, by Bill Clinton and James Patterson. It's tightly plotted, believable characters. It starts out with a president about to be impeached for communicating with an international terrorist. While the charge is true in the book, for the good of the country, the president can't reveal why he can't talk about it, and he goes off the grid without protection in order to help solve this international crisis it's quite gripping i enjoyed it uh whatever you think of bill clinton's politics that's a real minor part of this it's a good interesting story thank you very much junior thank you richard go out and hit royal flushes everybody good day